uh, all year we have had this uh, thing painted on our back wall where it says with, and many of you are like, why in the world do they have that painted on their back wall? Well, it is our annual theme that we started in January where we want to focus on three specific relationships. We want to be with God. We want to be with a friend, and we want to be with a neighbor. And more specifically, what that means is we want to challenge our church to be with God every day, meaning reading our Bibles in prayer, specifically just spending some time alone with God, growing in our relationship with God every single day. We also want to be with a friend. And what we mean by a friend is not a Facebook definition of friend. I mean a real friend, someone that you can share your life with in a more intentional and deep way, uh, probably a Christian friend uh, that you can spend maybe an hour or so a week uh, meeting together on what we like to call a huddle. And I'll tell you about that uh, a little bit more later. And then we also want you to spend some intentional time with a neighbor, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and you're specifically and intentionally uh, spending some time with them so that they can draw closer to God, that God can draw closer to them, uh, and then uh, and then they can become a believer just like you are. Uh, and so that's that's the goal of the entire annual series of with. And so we're we're going to focus in this morning on this idea of being with a friend. And uh, the ultimate goal of this, the ultimate goal of uh, some type of relationship that you're in, not to shoot the breeze, not to cover su- you know superficial conversations, uh, but the goal of this is to get us closer into the gospel. We believe that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life. Uh, died on a cross for our sins in our place so that we might be able to be in relationship with God with him for all of eternity. And we want to get that message out to the rest of the world. And ultimately, that's our goal. That's why we do what we do. And we believe friends together, real intentional friendships, will help us grow closer to God, grow, grow deeper into the gospel. And that's why we do what we do, so that we can be obedient with God and that we can be personally invested into our relationship with God and grow closer to him. So, so these relationships are super important, uh, but and many of us don't really have relationships with us. I kind of mentioned that some of us have the, I think Facebook has killed the word friend. Yeah, well, I mean, they just redefine what that means. And, and like, you might have friends, and, you know, 10 years ago, I heard somebody say this this week, 10 years ago, your friends, like, you're just stalking them. Like, you, you know what they ate, you know what they wore that day, but you don't know them. Like, that's weird. That's what a stalker does. Um, but that's not what a friend does. And so, it, like, we, have, we need to redefine what we mean by friend And so we're going to talk about that today. What does it mean to have an intentional friendship with somebody that we can be accountable to, that we can have deeper conversation with, that that person might draw us into greater holiness uh, together? Now, the hardest part about that is to get started. Uh, And so we push people uh, into a relationship called a huddle here at the Church of Cane Bay. And a huddle is just two or three people, usually of the same gender, that are meeting together for an hour or maybe two a week that are perfect purposely sitting down, asking each other good, intentional questions, reading the Bible together, and then praying about specific needs in their family together. That's what, that's what a huddle is. Now, the hardest part about a huddle is getting started into a huddle, because we don't know who we're going to meet with, and we don't know what is actually going to happen uh, when we get there. Now, several months ago, I was on a sabbatical, thankful for that, uh, and I had the chance to meet up with my old college roommates. I have three old college roommates, and we're super best friends. And we had this intentional plan. We're going to spend an entire weekend together uh, in Chattanooga. We're going to go uh, somewhere on a Friday and spend 
Saturday and Sunday all day together. Now, we haven't seen each other in years, but we kind of keep, keep in touch through text. Uh, and so we made these plans. We decided when we were going to go. We decided how we were going to get there. Uh, we decided uh, where we were going to stay. We were just going to, we found this, like, uh, like kind of cabin that was out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, uh, and we were just going to spend time together uh, and, quote, hang out. Now, and all of those things were great. All those details were great. But as the date draw, draw near, I'm kind of interested. Okay, we got four guys who don't spend too much time together. What are we going to do when we get there? Like, I know that we're going to talk and kind of catch up, but that's 72 hours. Like, are we really going to do that for that long? And so my question in the, in the text thread was, guys, what are we going to do? And nobody answered. Nobody. It's just a bunch of guys. Nobody answered. And, you know, several days, a couple of weeks goes by. We kind of talk about it again, making sure everybody's on the same page. And I said, guys, what are we actually going to do? And nobody answered. Like nobody had any clue what we were actually going to do. And then one of my friends finally answered and said, we're going to hang out. That's it. And at that point, and I don't know about you, and I'm just, maybe this is just my personality, because some of you would be good with that. Like, this is my personality, but I'm like, I'm not good with that. Like, I need to know. Like, I need to have some form of a schedule. Anybody with me? Like, okay. I need to, like, I need to know. I just don't want to go into 72 hours of just staring at each other. Like, that's just not what I'm interested in, okay? And so I just, I just need to know what we're actually going to do. Now, some of you came to church this morning and are asking that same question. What am I going to do when I get there? How is this going to go? And if you've ever, like, maybe spent some time away from the church and somebody invites you into a new church, and you're just like, man, what are, what are we going to do when we get there? How long are we going to stand up? Am I going to sing? Like, how is that going to work? And how long is the sermon going to be? Is this thing going to be forever? Like, people like people have those questions. What are we actually going to do when we, uh, when we go to church? Now, that's a fantastic question because we often run into that. Like, if we go to a birthday party or a dinner party, if you're ever invited to one of those things, you kind of, like, understand why you're there. I, I get the why. The why of the church is so that we can worship Jesus. That's the point, right? That's the why. The why of a birthday party is to celebrate the person who has a birthday. The why of a dinner party is to have dinner together. But what are we going to do when we get there? I need to know the specifics. Because if you don't know what's going to happen when you get there, you often lose interest before you go. And you, you kind of think to yourself, is there anything better that I can do? Uh, maybe, maybe there's maybe there's another option because I'm just there's a lot of mystery surrounding what happens uh, when we when we get there. Okay, and church church is bad at this. We're just like, okay, we're going to do life together. What the heck does that mean? Like that doesn't mean anything. And it's possible, I think, that the New Testament church. Uh, maybe struggled with this a little bit too because they were new and they were trying to figure out what life's going to be like and how we're going to spend time together. We knew what Jesus did, but Jesus uh, was raised up into heaven. Now we're just together. I'm not sure exactly what we're supposed to do. And I think they struggled with this uh, specifically because of this verse. Now, if you've got a Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, it's in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, you can turn it on. It's on your phone. That's great. My notes will be in the live event section of version. We'd love for you to turn there. Uh, so Hebrews, it's kind of towards the end of your Bible. Uh, and if you're wondering, oh, why, doesn't he, why, why is it so generic called Hebrews? Because uh, theologians actually do not know who wrote it. And so there's not a whole lot of um, knowledge.
knowledge as to who wrote the book of Hebrews, so often we'll just say the writer of Hebrews. But we know that this, is, this person was a uh, leader inside of the New Testament church. And they wrote a very great, uh, very great book that uh, is, it has a lot of Old Testament imagery, which is so fantastic. But we come to this verse uh, in verse 25, verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, do not neglect or ne- do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is the writer of Hebrews saying, do not neglect to meet together because there's some, there seems to be a habit here of the church starting to not really be together very much. And that became, that became a problem. And I think it's possible that the reason why they weren't meeting each other or they were neglecting to meet each other is they knew why they were meeting. I mean, that was very clear in the Great Commission. They're to make disciples of, the, of, all, of every nation and tongue. That's why they exist, to worship Jesus. They knew that. But I think that they had a problem with what they were actually going to do. So the writer of Hebrews in the, in the verses preceding is going to tell them, here are the actual things uh, that you're going to do. Okay? So if we start in verse 19, we'll get back to, to verse 25. But follow with me. Uh, and we're going to read verse 19 and following. Okay? Here we go. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, underline that word confidence, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through the flesh. Now, I'm going to explain all that because there's a lot of language there. And, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, now here, here's what I want. Like, this is the actual stuff that we're going to get into today of what we're supposed to do. It says this, let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean and our in uh, from our an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water it also says let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another in love and in good works not neglecting, now again, here's verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the, draw, the, the day drawing near. Now, before we talk about these things of what we actually do, because I think this is going to help us inside of our huddles, inside of these small relationships uh, that we have on a weekly basis, I think that there's some principles in here that are going to be really good, like this is what we actually do. Okay, and all those let us verses, I think that's going to help us. But those first couple of verses, I think we have to get into because it's going to explain who we are. Now, we just spent the last couple of weeks, or weeks talking about who we are as a church. And so we need to talk about what is our identity. So the, the writer of Hebrews is getting into what our identity is, kind of our why, why do we exist, before he gets into uh, what we actually do. Now, you'll notice in those first couple of verses, 19, 20, and 21, he uses a lot of Old Testament references. There are a lot of in, like Jewish insider language there. Uh, and, and unfortunately, when you're reading the book of Hebrews, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like you're on the outside of an inside joke. You ever been there? Where it's like everybody around you understands this joke and they're all laughing together and you have no idea what's going on. You just have a smile on your face and you look kind of awkward. This, this could happen in the book of Hebrews if we don't understand the language. So I want to give you just a little bit of the language so that we can be on the inside all the way together uh, as a church. Because the references are super rich and I want you to be in, okay? So let me define a couple things that we see in these verses, okay? So at first it talks about the holy places. 
It talks about the holy places. And this is a reference to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, inside of the temple, there was an, basically what happens is there's one main room called the Holy of Holies or the holiest place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of the Lord resided. Okay, and so um, and so you have this specific room. It was a cube, and then there were different courts that then went on the outside of it. And there was a, a holy court, and then there was another outside court, and then there was another court on the outside of that. Each with a different level, kind of of holiness, all leading up into this one central place called the holy of holies. Okay, so he says we're going to draw closer or go inside to the holy of holies, the holiest place. Okay. So the second thing is he references the curtain, okay? He references the curtain. Now, that's a little strange. What's the curtain all about? Well, the curtain was this big, real, large, thick curtain that separated the holiest place or the holy of holies from the rest of the temple, okay? And so it was a big, thick curtain. Uh, and, and the reason why it was a curtain was because one man would pass through the curtain once a year. Uh, and so, and then when Jesus died on the cross, it's very specific, the gospel writers record that one of the things that happened was that the curtain in the temple ripped from top to bottom, meaning that God ripped it in half. And the reason why that happened, symbolically saying that the presence of God was no longer in one specific room, that it was let out into the rest of the world. And it also symbolized that our ability to be confident and step into the holiest place, okay? So that's what it's talking about with the curtain. Now, it also talks about this language of the priest, the priest, the high priest. Okay, so the high priest was this one person who was Jewish, who was born into a specific clan, who was then born into a specific family, and, and, and he, was born, he was born of the high priest's family. And there was this one guy who was named the high priest, and he was the one who once a year can enter the holiest place to sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant, uh, and he can be in the presence of God for a very short period of time once a year. And that was it. That was the only person who was able to do that. So that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Now, to make this real, I want you to imagine this for just a second. Imagine, if you will, just go back in time for just a moment. Go back 2,000 years into, you can close your eyes if you want to, it's fine. You're going back 2,000 years into Jerusalem. And the central place in Jerusalem is the temple. And that temple was the main event. That's where you wanted to go. You see it on top of the hill. I'm going right there. So you go up, and you, there's an outer wall. And you walk up to that outer wall, and at one of the gates, there is a guard. And you just kind of think, oh, I'll just go right past the guard. And the guard stops you and says, well, who are you? And you're like, you tell him your name. And he's like, well, are you Jewish? And you say, no, I'm not. I'm not Jewish. And he says, well, unfortunately, you can't come in. This is the court for Jews, and you can't come into the temple. I go, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll just stand outside and peer in. And you peer in, there's lots of people inside of there doing various acts of worship inside of the temple. And then you see a person who has this regalia on, this gown on, that looks very specific, and you're like, oh, who's that? Well, that's the priest. And he goes into a separate gate inside, more inside the temple. Well, that's a priest. Well, what's, where's he going? He's like, well, he's going into the holy place. Oh, what's in the holy place? He's like, I'm not really sure. I've never been in there. And you say, well, aren't you a Jew? Yes, I am, but I'm not a priest. I wasn't born into the right family. 
I'm, I'm born of a different family, so I can go into the outer court, but I can't go into the inner court. I've never been in there. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And then you say, then you say, well, where does he go after that? Oh, well, he goes into the holy, the holy place. And if he's the high priest, he can go into the holiest place. Oh, wow. That must be neat to see. Like, that's where, what's in there? Oh, that's where the presence of God resides. Oh, well, that must be really neat. If I was, if I was the high priest, I would go and worship God every day. Oh, no, you can't do that. Only once a year does the high priest, and only for a short amount of time, does the high priest get to go into the Holy of Holies. Man, I, and you just think to yourself, I wish, I wish that I was born Jewish. I, w- I want to see this. And I wish I was born into the right tribe, the, Le- the Levite tribe, that I can be a priest and I can go in. I wish that I could be born into the right family so that I can see the inside of the Holy of Holies. And he looks back at you and he says, the only way that that's possible is if you were born again. And so Jesus, when, he, when, when the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 10, and he uses this language and he says, since we have confidence to enter in to the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, the new way, I mean, which is Christ, he's living and has been opened up through the curtain, the curtain has now been split in two, through his flesh, meaning his crucified body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, which is Jesus, we can now go in to the holiest place. We, our identity means that we have the access towards God because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus being the sacrificial lamb of God who gave himself so that we might be sprinkled clean. We know that his crucifixion caused that curtain to tear that we might have access to him and we no longer need an earthly priest. We can go directly to him and we have access to him himself. And so we have this confidence and we have this freedom and we have this forgiveness. That is our identity. That's who we are, folks. And it's incredibly important that we recognize who we are so that we, it will inform what we actually do. So what do we do? So the writer of Hebrews says, that's who you are. Now let's talk about what you're actually going to do. So verse 22, it says this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and an evil conscience uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes, okay? So the number one thing that we're going to do together is we're going to, we're going to let us encourage change. We're going to let us encourage change. Now, here's the deal. The Christian life is all about change. It's about change. It's a recognition that things are not how they should be and that there's something di- different that needs to happen. And that's what the first believers did when, they, when, they, when Jesus died and rose from the dead. They began to change. They began, and what they would tell people in the book of Acts is that what would, what would need to happen? Well, you have to believe and then repent. Repentance is a life of change. So how does that change happen? He says two things. There's an internal change, and then there's an external change. So look at the language there. It says that our hearts, meaning the inside of us, 
is sprinkled clean from our evil conscience. So our hearts, what is internal, is sprinkled clean. So there's internal change that has to happen. Our hearts are turned from selfish to selfless. We change what our mind focuses on. We think differently about situations. Anger doesn't control us anymore. Anxiety doesn't control us anymore. That we we have a different mindset. We begin to change things internally in our hearts and in our minds. Now, the second thing that changes is what we do on the outside, that there is external changes. And so it, it references that we're, our bodies are washed, which I think is a, it's a reference to baptism that we celebrate. Uh, but, but it also, what, when we look at baptism, what we always say with baptism is baptism is a symbol. It's an external symbol of what is happening on the inside. An external symbol of what's happening on the inside. So it says, our bodies are washed, but it, it talks about actions that change. So here are some actions that change. Our calendar changes. What we do on the weekends changes. Our spending habits change to be more generous towards others. Our, our life habits change. The time that we get up in the morning changes. What we watch on television changes. What we listen to changes. What we post on social media changes. What we read changes. What we spend our time on changes. So there's internal changes of the way that we think, and then there's external changes of the things that we do. So when we spend time together, when we are, quote, with one another, we are encouraging change. We talk about these changes. So my hope is, is that when you, when you leave here on Sunday mornings, that maybe it's incremental, maybe it's small, but when we leave here on Sunday morning, that there is some type of change. If you came in here and you don't leave change, then church has been a waste of time. So let's think through that together. I was in uh, one of my huddles, and this is a couple of years ago, but uh, one of my huddles, I was just me and another guy, we were walking with each other through some scripture. I was sharing some prayer requests with him, just sharing my life with him a little bit about what's happening. And he looked at me very boldly and he said, Charlie, are you in your Bible? And I said, I'm a pastor, man. Like, I'm in my Bible. Like, I, I mean, I study the Bible all the time. It's what I do for a living. I mean, I, I study the Bible. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, not for work. Are you in your Bible just between you and God? Are you in a relationship with Jesus in a more personal level? Where you're not doing work, you're just in your Bible. And I told him I'd had some timing issues. I probably skirted out some different excuses. And he looked right at me just incredibly boldly. And he said, what time do you wake up in the morning? And I said, 6.30. He said, well, it looks like you're going to wake up at 6 and you're going to spend some time with Jesus just personally. This is incredibly bold of him. Because that's what you do inside of an intentional relationship. This is encouraging change. He's talking about internal change that also needs to reflect externally as well. So something in my life needed to change, and I needed to be held accountable. And those are the kind of friendships that we want to be with, okay? So second thing is this. We need to let us let us strengthen our theology. And where, where I get this from is, is, is this verse, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. So I want you to underline, if you've got a real Bible, underline, let us hold fast 
the confession. Now, I'm gonna, I said the word theology, and the point is we need to strengthen our theology, and a lot of you are just like scared to death of that word of, of theology. That's like rocket science or something like that. We, we don't like that word because it, uh, it seems very scientific. Okay? Theology is this. It just means the study of God. And all of us, at some level, are, we, we study who God is. Whenever we read the Bible, we're studying who God is. If you've got a Bible in front of you right now and you're listening intently to me, at some level, maybe a small level, you are doing some form of theology. You're studying about who God is. When you literally look at somebody and they sneeze and you say, God bless you, that is a very small, minute amount of theology. You understand? We are all theologians, some of us more than others. There's guys that have degrees and PhDs in theology, and that's what they do. I'm not asking everyone to do that, but we are asking for folks to strengthen their theology, their study of God. And one of the things that we do is we, we strengthen our confession, and we solidify our heart, and not only our heart, but our head, our mind. What is our mind thinking about? We ask hard questions. So when we do things like we confess, like as Christians, we confess that there is only one God. Well, if we're going to confess that there's only one God, our theology has to be strengthened to defend that position. Because there's many people in the world who do not believe that there is only one God. We have to strengthen our position or our theology. When we confess that Jesus rose from the dead, how are we going to prove that? That's theology. When, G, when, when we confess that God created the world, when you look at your kids and say, who created the leaves and the trees and the grass, and you're like, oh, God did that. That's theology. And we have to strengthen our position. What I'm not here, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all of our relations, all of our relationships have to be this deep and intense conversations. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about how we need to think about when we're hanging out and doing life together, that we need to think through at certain times, not all the time, but at certain times we do need to have more intentional questions that we ask. Or we're just kind of wasting our time. We're just talking about football. We're just talking about television shows. Or all we do when we get together is we talk about our children and what they're doing. Children are not that interesting, folks. I mean, let's, let's get into some deeper conversations. And people are like, amen to that? Okay. So, um, so how do we do this? We read the scripture together. We consider deeper questions. So let's, talk about, let's, let's think about this third thing. It comes from verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good words. So, so the third let us is let us challenge ourselves to serve. Let us challenge ourselves to serve. Folks, we live in a culture of rampant selfishness where everybody is an entrepreneur to promote their own brand, their own personal self. That's what social media exists to do. You're promoting ourselves, our ideas, our latest craze, our latest product, our latest vision, our latest project, whatever it is, we're promoting ourselves. And what we're wanting to do is everybody to get on board with our project and our thing. Unfortunately, everybody is doing this. And so this is like vicious cycle of everybody trying to get everybody else to do their thing and nobody wants to do their thing because they're doing their own thing. Does that make sense? And so we have no margin. You ever wonder why you're so busy? It's because we're so 
busy with our own stuff. And we have no margin in our life to come along somebody else who has a valuable vision, who has something valuable that they want to do either for the kingdom of God or maybe to do good for others or whatever it is, and we have no margin to help them succeed. Let us stir one another up into good works and love. A good question for your huddle this week would be this. How have you served someone else this week without looking for anything in return? There's a man in our church who selflessly, every single week on Saturday morning, gets up. He doesn't post it on social media. He just jumps up, gets in his truck, comes to the church, grabs all of our church signs, puts them up, and then on Sundays he puts them back. He does it selflessly. He doesn't promote himself. He doesn't want anybody to know that he does it. He just does it. Because he, is, he has seen the value in that. Because what we know is that vast, the vast majority of people that have heard about the Church of Cane Bay have heard about it through a sign. And this man does it selflessly every single week just to serve and just to love on this church, to stir one another up. And so as we're here together, let's stir one another up to good works. Let's encourage one another. What's going on in your life? Encourage one another. That before service, come into this room thinking, who can I ask about how to encourage them this week? What's going on in your life this week? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you in what you're doing this week? Is there anything that's a concern that I can help you with this week? Be thinking through that before you come into this room, before you go into your missional community, before you go into your huddle. How can I help you do what God has called you to do and make it easier for you to do? That we might stir one another up. So we encourage each other to change. We strengthen our theology. And then we also stir one another up or challenge ourselves uh, to serve. So the question is, what is the best possible environment for all of these things what's the best possible environment is it this environment where we've got 300 people in a room and some of us don't know each other and so like literally we're, we're to the point now as a, as the church of cane bay where you can come to church and you have a friend that might be sitting on the other side of the room and you didn't even know that they were here because there's such a crowd now i'm not saying it's a bad thing I'm just saying that it's very possible for you to come in this room know for sure that there's somebody else in this room that you'll never have met So is that the best environment for what we just talked about? No, absolutely not. How about your missional community? Now, if you're new, a missional community is something that we just started a couple weeks ago. So if you're not in one, I really want to encourage you to get one. But it's, you know, roughly a group of about 10, 13, 14 adults and a passel of kids that are serving on mission together specifically, and they meet throughout the week. Uh, And I would love for you to get involved in one. So it's a smaller group, more of a family. Uh, It's co-ed, so you've got a lot lot of different people, different generations all involved with one another. Um, But honestly... We love those groups, and they're specifically geared towards the mission of God, but they're not great for vulnerability. They're sometimes great for intentional conversation, but as far as like, hey, I want to get... I want to get down to the nitty-gritty of my life, of my life. My marriage and my wife were struggling together. Are you really going to come out with those things in the, inside of a big, large group of about 15 adults? No, you're not. And so that's why we created these things called huddles that we really want people to get into. We really desire for people to just sit down once a week with somebody else week to week and walk through some scripture together and ask each other intentional questions for about an hour to just to just pray for one another, encourage one another, and challenge one another uh, towards change. That's the best possible thing. You might say, okay, I don't even know what that's like. I've never been in one of those before. How do I get started? 
the best thing for you to do to get started into a huddle. We don't have a, a you know, there's nothing outside in the lobby that you can sign up for. There's not, there, there's no way that we don't have a sign up list. And then we, we're not matchmakers. That's not how we work. We think genuine relationships uh, are going to happen organically. Uh, and so my encouragement to you, if you've never been inside of one of these huddle relationships, is to be a part of a missional community. And your missional community leader, now I'm going to put them on the spot, your missional community leader, their job is to make sure that they connect you with another person to huddle with. That's their job, and they know it. And so this week, at your missional community, they're going to have an intentional conversation about huddles, uh, about this whole thing, and they're going to have, you guys are going to spend some time talking about this. Uh, and so and they know that that's coming. It's okay. They're prepared for that. Uh, but I want you guys to have an intentional conversation. And it's very possible that there's somebody in the group, a guy, a girl, that they are also looking for somebody to huddle with. And then inside of that relationship, inside of that group, you can come together in that relationship. We've also provided a couple things just for you. So we've, we've provided these things called a huddle guide. We've got a bunch of them printed out in the lobby. It just If you're wondering, what do I actually do inside of a huddle? This is going to help you. It spells it out specifically. It gives you tips. What am I supposed to read? It tells you about that. Uh, so it, it answers all of your questions. We have tons of copies of these for you to pick up for free. We'd love for you uh, to pick up one of these in the lobby, okay, on your way out. And then lastly, we've uh, made these journals. They come in three different colors because uh, one of the things that you do inside of a huddle is you journal together through the scripture. I think we sell these for five bucks. They're really great inside of them. Um, Inside of them, it shares with you a little Bible reading plan called the SOAP plan uh, that we encourage people to do. It really just it, it knocks it out for you step by step. Uh, I think there's three colors. I believe I believe what we do is uh, you can buy three of them for 10 bucks, right? So five bucks a piece, three of them for 10 bucks. We'd love for you to pick one up uh, at the desk out there. Uh, just a really good tool for you. So big next steps are... If you're not in a missional community, get inside of a missional community. If you're not in a missional community, be prepared this week uh, to talk about that huddle relationship and be asking about that and be thinking to yourself, what is the name of the person that I'm going to sit down with and study the scripture? Who is that person? What's the name? What's his name? What's her name? We'd love for you to do that. And this is going to become incredibly important as we move forward as a church into two services. Why? Because as a big group, we as a church need to grow a little bit smaller. We have to grow smaller or we're going to lose you. You're going to walk out the back door because you don't know anybody and you're not connected. But when you have relationships, you're going to be connected for the mission of God. And so as we think through these two services, we need to grow smaller as a church into deeper relationships. Okay? So just be thinking about this next week as we think through uh, with a friend. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll worship some more. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus who um, is with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so, God, I ask simply uh, that people in this room would feel the presence of God in their lives. God, that they, that they would feel Jesus' presence in this place, in their life, that they might walk out of here in some way changed. That they might be asking some very simple questions. God, they might have some complicated answers, but God, that we would be a church that desires to answer them. And so Jesus, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so privileged and so excited every time that I go inside of a Chick-fil-A or Eggs Up or something like that where I see people with their Bibles open and they're having intentional conversation. God, those are such encouraging times. May we be a church that has their Bibles open that has their hearts open, that has their mind strengthened. 
as we consider the deeper things, God, I pray that you would bless us in that effort. Father, our identity is found only in you, and you provide us with actions to do. So what might we be a church of action? Jesus, thank you for a good morning of worship. Thank you for connecting us together to be with one another. We love you. Amen. Let's stand up together. Worship. And and just, I I hope and and pray that as, as our hearts are changed and formed to be more like Jesus, that we would sing these words and sing them loudly for the glory.